Jesus Christ. There's the the hard-hearted listener who can't seem to understand or grasp what God is trying to tell them, so they just close their hearts to everything that they hear. And then there's the shallow-hearted listener who's quick to believe, receive, and rejoice, but they just give it all up before that spiritual seed can really grow and mature in their lives. And then the third kind of listener is the clutter-hearted listener, and their life is so cluttered up with the things of the world that they, they can't hear what God is trying to say to them. And finally, there's the good-hearted listener who truly hears God's word and hears God speaking to them and understands it. And their life bears the fruit of the seed that God has planted within them. You know, every Sunday we gather for worship and my prayer is that we're all good-hearted listeners and that, that we listen closely to what God has to say to us, what God is trying to tell us through his word and through the message that we hear every Sunday. But worship is more than just listening. A little background of the PCUSA. In the Presbyterian tradition, we have two books uh, that make up what we call the Constitution of the PCUSA. And the first book is the Book of Confessions. Now, in the Confessions, the PCUSA expresses the faith of the Reformed tradition, a tradition that's rooted in specific events throughout history. There are 12 confessions altogether, including the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, and Westminster Confession of Faith. Now, if you really want to know what Presbyterians believe, just read the Book of Confessions. And the second part of the Constitution of the PCUSA consists of the Book of Order. And yes, Presbyterians believe that everything should be done decently and in order. And the book of order talks about how the church is organized. But listed in the opening chapters of the book of order are six great reasons why the church exists. The great ends of the church are the proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of humankind, the shelter, nurture, and spiritual fellowship of the children of God, the maintenance of divine worship, the preservation of the truth, the promotion of social righteousness, and the exhibition of the kingdom of heaven to the world. Now, this morning, I want to talk about the third great end of the church, which is the maintenance of divine worship. And I've chosen as our passage for this morning one that comes to us from the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 24, verses 1 through 8. Now, listen carefully to the word of the Lord with your ears and with your hearts. But first, please pray with me. Let's pray. Almighty and loving God, Lord, we gather here this morning seeking direction on what it means to be your people and to worship you. 
Grant us ears to hear what you would say to us today and a willingness to apply it to our lives as you teach us through your word. We pray that all that is said here today and the meditations of our hearts together in this place might be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We pray these things in your precious son's holy name. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship at a distance. Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses went and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose up early in the morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and set up twelve pillars corresponding to the twelve tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the Israelites who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed oxen as offerings of well-being to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he dashed against the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord hath spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. Moses took the blood and dashed it on the people and said, here is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, I wonder this morning, how many of you have ever questioned your faith? You know, it seems like new believers and some of us who are not so new often have a lot of questions about our faith. And about Christianity. You know, I googled questions about faith in God and I came up with 171 million results. Results included questions like What is faith? Is God real? What does the Bible teach us about faith? Does God really love me? You know, life is full of questions. Unfortunately, not every question has an answer. For, for instance, do bald people get dandruff? Uh, if you blew a bubble in space, would it pop? Uh, can you cry underwater? You know, if you try to fail and you succeed, have you failed or have you succeeded? Or... If a kid refuses to take a nap during nap time, are they guilty of resisting arrest? <laughs> and when does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? I, I love the story about a teacher who gave her class a history test. 
on the United States Constitution, and one of the questions was, explain what free press is. And one student answered, it's when my mom irons my trousers. Now, I love that story because it reminds me that correct answers are not always the right answers, especially when it comes to matters of faith. You see, there are times when reason and cleverness don't count for much. Sometimes the right answers are answers that just don't add up. Sometimes the neat, rational approach to faith just doesn't lead us to the answers that we need as we face the questions of life. So why are we here? What's the purpose of the church? Good question. There are so many answers to that question. So many answers, as many as there are denominations. But there's one common element that all denominations share, and that element is worship. Most major denominations would tell you that the reason that they exist is to worship, to worship God. But what exactly does that mean? I think it all depends upon the congregation. You see, we all come to church with certain expectations, don't we? What do you expect to get out of worship this morning? What does God want you to learn today and apply to your lives? Well, the people of Israel were wondering that same question. A little background of, of Exodus. The, the first chapters, section of Exodus, chapters 1 through, through uh, 18, tells the story of how God redeemed the Israelites. And then the second section, chapters 19 through 24, tells how God adopted the Israelites as his people. And then the last section of Exodus focuses on the design, the construction, and the dedication of the tabernacle. But before they could build the tabernacle, the Israelites needed to identify the purpose for building it. And that purpose was to worship the one and only God. Exodus chapter 24 is probably one of the most fascinating chapters in the entire Old Testament. And one of the attractions here is its uniqueness. The God who cannot be seen is seen by Moses. Now, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, along with 70 of the elders of Israel, are invited to come along. But only Moses is allowed to get close to God. Now, my friends, things have changed, especially for us. Because of Jesus Christ, God invites you to draw closer to him, as close as you choose. You and I, as Christians, can come close to God in the same manner that Moses came close. The New Testament book of James puts it this way. 
Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we could get closer to God. So what's the point? Well, the point is this. God is inviting you and I to worship him in the same manner that he invited Moses to come into his presence. Not just on Sunday morning, but every morning of of every day. So how are we supposed to respond? My friends, God confirms his love for us over and over again in the new covenant that he's made with us through Jesus Christ. John Calvin tells us that when we fully understand that God has made a special covenant with us, that alone fills our hearts with praise And realizing that fact should be enough to cause our hearts to leap for joy. Worship is all about drawing close to God and thanking him for for all of the things he's done on our behalf. And when we gather for worship, our hearts should leap for joy. Worship is a joyful experience. Now, let's look again at at verses 3 through 6. Then Moses came and recounted to the people the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has spoken we will do. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. There's a story about a a man who was walking down the street one day and when he noticed a group of construction workers and they were building a building of some kind and he was a little curious. So he started asking questions. He said, what are you doing? And the first worker got a little irritated at the interruption, and he spouted off, can't you see, I'm a brick mason, and I'm building a wall. The second worker answered without even looking up, I'm making $500 a week mixing concrete. But when he asked the third worker that same question, the man stopped what he was doing, stood up proudly, looked him in the eye, and answered, I'm building a church. Worship is a matter of perspective, isn't it? The first man couldn't see beyond the wall. The second man couldn't see beyond his paycheck. But the third man had a different perspective. He looked at what he was doing as worshiping God. He was building a church. Robert Weber, in his book, Worship Old and New, says that worship is not a human invention, but a God-given gift. When Moses came down the mountain, he felt so blessed. The only thing he could do was praise God and build an altar. Worship was his response to the love of God 
And it should be our response, too. Worship is God's gift to us. So when you stop to think about it, how much, think about how much God has blessed us. The natural response to that blessing is worship, to worship him and praise him and to praise his holy name. Our God is a God who deserves our praise and our adoration. He deserves to be heard and worshiped. We come together because we are called by God to be renewed, to be transformed, to offer ourselves, to be equipped to serve. Max Lucado, the, the noted theologian and author, puts it this way. He says, worship is a voluntary act of gratitude offered by the saved to the Savior, by the healed to the healer, and by the delivered to the deliverer. My friends, worship is a privilege that we have, a chance for all of us to say thank you and give God praise and glory. Moses knew that fact in his heart, and so he led the Israelites as they worshiped God and celebrated the covenant that God had made with his children. That was Moses' first response when he came down the mountain, and it should be our response, too, to worship God. Worship needs to be a priority in our lives because Scripture demands it. God deserves it. But let me give you another reason, because it gives God pleasure. Now, I often think about the first nine years that Gracie and I were married, you remember last week I, I mentioned the fact that I had I worked as a supervisor in a factory in Des Moines, Iowa for the first nine years that Gracie and I were married. And, but I'll tell you, one of the biggest thrills of my day was when I came home from work. As soon as I opened that front door, our two little boys would come running at me, screaming, Daddy's home, Daddy's home. Sure, one of the reasons for that fact was that I would bring home candy in my pocket from the vending machine at work, but I felt so blessed, so blessed. As we sat there on the floor, we would play and, and laugh and love each other. I tell you that no matter how bad my day was, at that moment, it was worth it all. Life was good. Now, imagine how God must feel when we gather to worship him. When we come through those doors every Sunday morning, when we say to him, we love you, Lord, like the children of Israel, God takes pleasure when we worship him and when we offer our lives to him. It's our response to God's love and grace. There was a woman one time who was a, a terrible cook. And one Sunday morning after church, she gave the pastor a pie to take home to his family. And after tasting the pie, it was so bad that they just threw it in the garbage. Well, the next Sunday, the woman asked the preacher, 
how did you like my pie? Well, the preacher was pretty good with words, and this is how he responded. He said, a pie like that doesn't last very long at our house. <laughs> words. <laughs> Verse 4 tells us that Moses wrote down the words of the Lord. Moses knew that what God said to him was so important that he had to record every one of those words. Moses wanted to remember every word that God had said to him. So he wrote them all down. He knew that eventually somebody was going to ask him, okay, what did the Lord say? And Moses didn't want to forget anything that God said. So verse 7 tells us that he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And we will be obedient. So what happened there? Moses read the word. The people heard the word. They understood the word. And they obeyed the word. Four roles that God's word plays in worship. God spoke and the people listened. Remember the message last week? The person who has ears, let them hear God's word. God's word speaks to us. It speaks to us where we are. And when we listen and when we understand that God is a gracious, compassionate God who, who loves his people, that realization alone should lead us to respond, to do what God's word teaches us to do, to listen, to hear, to be the people that God calls us to be. So here we are, back to where we started. The third great end of the church is the maintenance of divine worship. What does that mean? It's been suggested that too often the church views pastors and worship leaders as performers, and the congregation is the audience. But just think about the difference it would make in worship if we changed our understanding a little bit. What if we thought of ourselves as being the performers, and God is the audience? What difference that would make in our worship experience to think that God is watching us as we read and hear his word, as we understand and obey, as we worship his holy name and reach out to the world around us. God is our audience of one, and we are the performers. So how are you doing? Do you hear God clapping for you? For the first 11 years of my ministry, I served a church in a farming community in 